Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. One of the things we're trying to get do here, ready nope. for some awesome. Can't even do my intro and you just jump right in. That's Jonathan Storman. Hello, buddy. One of the things we try to do here in the podcast is help people navigate faith in this modern world, and we have important subjects to get to today. Uh, there's a lot going on with SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, Russell Moore. We've got some stuff about materialism we want to get to, and uh, maybe talk about people hanging out on the podcast. And so I-, I needed my guy Jonathan Storm to join. So welcome to the show, man. Yeah, I wish I, wish I was on a phone instead of a Zoom so that I could hang up. I bet that was incredibly satisfying for Mr. Eldridge. Why? Why would you say that? Like I, I feel like he was trying to make a point, and you're just trying to be hurtful and. Mean. <laughs> Dude, I hadn't listened to the podcast, and I got asked about it by like three people. Like, oh, we always thought you would be the one to hang up on Luke. And I was like, <laughs> someone hung up on Luke, and when they told me John Eldridge, I was, why would John? He seemed like a really nice guy. Why would he hang yeah. up on? I mean, I get hanging up on Luke, but it's the John Eldridge part of it that I was like, why would he do it? Yeah. The the weird thing is I had, uh, I came back from sabbatical. I was talking with one of my coworkers and I was like, so I, yeah, sp- uh, sabbatical is really good. I actually was doing this pot. And he goes, I know I, we all know what happened with John Eldridge. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you don't even listen to my podcast yet. You know, this, this episode. So for some reason, people like that. They listen to it. So maybe, yeah. um, it's very cathartic. I've listened to that click probably a hundred times. Now. <laughs> Just <laughs> so, when did you start? Like, I went back and listened to uh, to you get hung up on again for real more than once, and I could tell when you first because you know he's talking about um, uh, the global trauma we've all been through and um and, and how we need to be able to re- restore our souls and. It seemed to me like when you first mentioned that you're on sabbatical, you knew like this was a bad interview yeah. to have on some because he's yeah, like, like a, he like takes this stuff seriously and he should. He, he he does take it seriously. There was a turn in the conversation and I felt like I was back in my childhood because my dad's a yeah. psychologist. And there are times with my dad where I knew it was like, oh, wait a minute. I have just fell metaphorically on your counseling couch, you know? And yeah, as yeah. soon as I said that, I realized, oh, no, 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 he's, he just turned something else on. This isn't like a guy who, you know, talking about his book and spiritual formation and, you know, the soul yeah. of America, all that stuff. He's talking about, like, me you. individually. And I was like, oh, yeah. I, I walked right into that one. I should have known better, but I didn't. And, yeah, it was, it was a, a quick turn. So the people who I heard about it from – thought it was really, really cool. Like he's smoking what he's selling. He actually wants something for you. He's not trying to be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I went back and listened to it, he's saying like, call me in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Don't, don't waste this gift. And yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I, like I had some people who, who took umbrage to it and felt like it was rude or wasn't the right way to go about doing it. And uh, like, umbrage. I really... look at you, look yeah. at that MDiv paying off. umbrage. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing you can think of that's close to that is a pair of shorts you played at soccer in when you were a kid. <laughs> um, but they took umbrage, and I, like I appreciate the sentiment, and and maybe you know they're onto something. But uh, like, I, it, maybe they are. Maybe they should be offended on your behalf. Is that what you're saying? No, no. Like I, like I, like I get why there would be another perspective on it than the one that I took, which was, sure, you sure. know what, like I. It's like a coach yelling at you. I mean, coaches yell at you because yeah, they care yeah. about you. And 
and they want if, the best for you. Yeah, and if they stop I yelling, hear the end of that podcast. There, the thing there's there was like ten seconds after that didn't get captured uh, with the recording, but it was basically him um, just saying, I, I think he said, "Love you, bro," but I'm hanging up on you. It was something very short like that. Or no, yeah, he didn't no, say I'm, I'm hanging saying, up. I want to hear. The end. He said, "Call me in two weeks." I want to hear the makeup call podcast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, brother John, um, I'm off sabbatical now. Can we talk? Um, uh, well, here's part of the yeah. problem of that is what I wanted to get into. Uh, there's a couple things I want to get to. One, I want to talk about male isolation, which is part of what. Yeah, he, yeah, so, sure. so he had a book that came out, and his publicist sent it out. Said, "Here's here's some of the stuff that he actually wants to talk about in connection with the." like the five millionth copy or 10 year anniversary or something of Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. And so the male spirituality, like that, that really grasped my attention. Um, he also wanted to talk about like the male, uh, like the male isolation part of it. And yeah. the other part I want to talk about was some of the critiques of the book. And so the, like, it might look bad if it's, Hey, get back on the podcast. <laughs> and here's me kind of pushing yeah. back on your book. Cause it kind of seems like, Oh, this is me trying to like do retribution. What are the critiques of the book? I mean, I, I know from my years, in Texas, although I can't imagine very many people critiquing Wild at Heart where I'm at now, but what are the critiques of the book that you think are the most valid? Wild well, I, at Heart. I loved it when I was in college, hated mm-hmm. it when I was in grad school, hated it for many years after grad school, and then have come to appreciate it all over again for different reasons. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't have my, my questions in front of me. I was going to reference, and I think this is from you, where you talked about the book Wild at Heart function as uh, a shibboleth, which is the Old yep. Testament text where, like, based on your pronunciation, I could tell where you're from. And based on your response to that book, you could say, like, which side of the, you know, progressive liberal... Educational concern. divide. Or educational No, yeah, yeah. it was more... So that was Richard Beck, and he said, talking about Ed Highland, he can tell Ed Highland if you have a graduate degree or not by asking, what do you think of the book Wild at Heart? Yeah. And that's true. In my experience, almost to a person, that's true. Yeah, have you have you um, read um, what is the, the the title? It's like Jesus, John Wayne, and yeah, sure, yeah. I, I know that a lot I, of I, a lot of that book. So there stop was, making, you go. Yeah, ahead. It's, I, it, we're it, rusty. It, we're it, rusty. It, we don't know who's supposed to talk. It's been a while, <laughs> and so you laugh all you want about not listening to podcasts, but you're not on your A game right now. That hurts. That's true. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Scott McKnight told me one time that one of the problems. Uh, a kind of tertiary problem with male privilege is in reality. Tertiary? To male privilege, You're going to use the word tertiary right after critiquing I take umbrage. umbrage. I take umbrage at your critiquing okay. me. Uh, so one of the one of the side problems of <clears throat> of male privilege is that people uh, don't want men to have targeted ministries or like like a men's ministry or you know, a men's retreat or what men's specific discipleship, because uh, it can often feel like the whole world is made for you. You don't need yeah. one more thing. The problem with that, I think you're seeing in the rise of toxic masculinity. Um, do you want your sons and husbands and fathers discipled by Jordan Peterson or John Eldridge or, you know, somebody like Richard Rohr? And one of the one of the reasons that you have to be intentional with with men is because it's, speaking stereotypically, they tend to be pretty passive and not engage uh, and and withdraw. Speaking stereotypically, but I think that and you're saying that true. in the religious context that they're withdrawing mm-hmm. passive. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also in life, I mean, like, I think the the statistics uh, would bear this out as far as, uh, you know, people, vices, uh, vices to numb. Men are going to gravitate towards that maybe a a small percentage point more than women. Um, I I think one of the critiques of, you know, the book and maybe like men's ministry in general is that often like men's ministry stuff looks like boys ministry where it's, Hey, we got a dirt bike Um, and a tank and you know, we've got a guy who's good at football and you know, like I I like football and I think there was one where it was like, uh, like they had a a guy flipping a motorcycle on the stage and then they had a quote unquote real MMA fight, which clearly was just sparring. It wasn't a real fight. And, um, so just like we digress. You would go to that retreat though, right? You would totally go to that retreat. No, because it's not good martial arts. I, it's clearly oh, just, just, oh. just guys sparring. On principle, you would. Yeah, yeah. No, like... I, so I'm not Jesus a, and John Wayne is... Like, I thought that was a, a really um, important, difficult book to read. And I guess my question is, what do you do with it? Because it it's it's true. I don't I don't think that's not true. My My, my, my response is to disciple men to not... I think you can tell uh, how well someone's growing in the Lord by how they treat the vulnerable people in them, around them, yeah. around them. And um, it seems to me like our men have lost the heart of Jesus if they treat women and vulnerable people like that, um, that we yeah. lost the plot of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think you're right that there is a sense of isolation or passivity and being withdrawn. And I think that's one of the issues that we see is that there are a lot of guys who are completely isolated and like once you leave whatever group you had when you were like younger whether it's you know sports or college or wherever you were and like you step out of that like you, you don't have friends and this is the uh, John Mulaney bit that you that you share with me a while ago. Your dads don't have friends, yeah. Their moms have friends and those friends have husbands, right? Like and I love like, that, yeah. The the biggest miracle of Jesus' life is that he made new friends in his 30s. <laughs> Like that's like that's a great joke. He's he's spot on because, like, we have a lot of people who are really isolated because talking about the vulnerable stuff doesn't come very naturally to most people. And this is like the anyway. So I I think that's like the benefit of what Eldridge does is kind of helps guys get into environments where it's more likely to talk. Because you, I'm not a hunter. I don't like that's not my thing. I'm not like against it, but it's not my thing. But I've watched um, big surprise. Uh, I've got your jerk, Steve Rinella. Do you know who that guy is? He's got a show called uh-huh. Meat Eater on Netflix. I've legitimately watched every oh, episode yeah, yeah, that's yeah. on Netflix. And there's a sense of like camaraderie and connection that you see in this hunting situation where guys are going to talk out there stereotypically yeah. and like to sit down and, you know, get coffee with two dudes. Like that's not as comfortable. Whereas yeah, one of the things sure. I see like after my, like at my gym, like after we're done, you know, with class, like dudes will sit around and talk and just share and like talk yeah. about what's going on. Um, like when you're just drenched in sweat and you're exhausted and like, you're going to do where the idea of like coming into like a classroom on Sunday morning and Hey, um, have any of you sinned this week? Have you looked at pornography? Like that kind of stuff is just like, Oh man, like, yeah, I, sure. I, I, that's not, would very... you like to have a tooth pulled? Yeah. That sounds, mm-hmm. that tends to not, you know, but again, you're speaking stereotypically cause I think 20% of men, me included, you included, like we, uh, like to read, like to have deep conversations. You and I talk on the phone without having to wrestle. Well, although we have wrestled before. 
Maybe. You just wrestle with people. I think it's a great um, way to meet people. It's how I, it's how I build friends. Um, it's also why I don't have many friends. Um, because That's true. <laughs> I'm just barely hanging on here. What, hey, so uh, your pastor, what would you do for Memorial Day? Um, well, to speak of stereotypical masculine things, um, I went and uh, there is a... Um, uh, there's a workout called Murph that's big in the CrossFit community and the, like the military community. Uh, it's a uh, workout in honor of one of the guys who was depicted in the movie Lone Survivor. It's a Navy SEAL whose last name was Murph. And uh, so I went over to a buddy of mine's house who um, uh, he, he retired maybe a couple of years ago. So he was in the service for 20 plus years in the Army. He was a ranger. And uh, so we did this like workout in honor of uh, fallen soldiers and uh, – like it was pretty intense. Like I, I knew him and I knew what, um, like he, he had mentioned this like months ago and I said, yeah, I'll do Murph with you. And he told like Murph is a workout where you wear this 20 pound weighted vest. And so you have this, this, oh. uh, this vest on and, uh, he has a piece of paper that I saw him looking at multiple times during the workout. And he, uh, like afterwards I was like, I, I know what that piece of paper is. I was like, that's, that's the list of your guys that have, uh, fallen in combat. It's your friends who've died. And, and so he, like, I would see him pulling it out and I, um, yeah. So like that's, I did that workout with him and, uh, yeah, it's pretty intense, um, for like combat veteran friends of mine that, uh, I think it brings up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, You know, you know, speaking of friends, like, uh, so I, I think I've told you I had a Bible study on Sunday nights with nuns, people who don't go to church or consider themselves not religious. And a couple of those guys are soldiers. Yeah. And um, they struggle to make friends, but their friends that they have are soldiers, and they're big. I mean, I, I didn't even think about Memorial Day through their uh, eyes because they have lost friends, and a lot of them have lost friends to suicide. Yep. Because coming back, you remember that book Tribe by Sebastian Jung? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or Junger, where he talks about how people don't mind con- con- or uh, hard times; they thrive in it. And soldiers have deep community, and they come back to isolated, individualistic West. And the hardest part for them is not the trauma of war. It's not having people around them to process that trauma with. Yeah, yeah. So It's, it's like the athlete who, who says, the biggest thing I'm going to miss when I hang up my cleats is the locker room and the guys. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that on steroids. I mean, sports mm-hmm. are hard, and they're challenging, and they're suffering, and all that. But it's, it's – yeah. it's, it's a game, you know? And so, um, yeah. so here's one of the things I was processing and your comment, you probably said this two years ago on the podcast, when, when we in the church just celebrate what soldiers do, we lose the ability to say like, what is bad is bad. And you've done something bad and like the country called on you to do something bad. I'm not saying that you're, you're bad. Anyway, uh, that's a different conversation, but the what war is it's like the worst thing that happens in, in sure. the human experience it, like people it can destroy your soul yeah exactly and so when we lose the ability to say hey this is this is terrible what you went through and awful what you had to be in the middle of we lose the ability to to have something with them and so i'm i'm finishing this workout so a lot like so you run a mile and like do your push-up sit-ups and for a while and then you run another mile and at the last like we're running and i'm thinking man, like how do, how do i honor my friend in this, and I'm thinking, like, I want to say something uh, over these. Like, I want to, if he's going to let me, like, read these names, which he did, and then, uh, like, say something. And in my head, I'm going, 
you're a Jesus person. How can you say anything about this without this being a situation, people losing their life in war, without Jesus' like central teaching on enemies, which is love your enemies, pr- pray for those who persecute right. you? Like, how do you like not have that a part of it? And so th- there's this tension of, on the one hand, I think there's an abuse when you celebrate it. But sure. on the other side, like, we have to commemorate, like, lives were lost and, and they were sacrificed yeah. for these individuals thinking, this is my way of helping my country, my world, and right. my right? community. It's just a tough dance. Like, there's some dance in the middle of that yeah. that we have to be able to make space for that. All those things. Yeah. Jesus loved soldiers. Hated war, loved soldiers. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think that uh, the being able to offer forgiveness also indicts that it, the thing that every soldier knows, even if it's a necessary evil, it's still evil. You know, killing. I, I, did I tell you about in that Bible study, one of the young soldiers? I, yeah, did I say yeah. it on the podcast? I don't know if you did. I mean, I, I can't forget this. Yeah, that's, it's, it's pretty heavy, but um, it, it's heavy. Uh, he, he took a life. It was a young boy, and he uh, he was in war, and the ISIS or whoever uh, used a young boy to yeah. like a decoy, and he got an order from a commanding officer to take the shot, and he did. And so he just asked me in this Bible study, is there any way I could get clean from that? He was crying and mm. all that. And, uh, I mean, the answer to that question is, yeah. I mean, the gospel the gospel can definitely heal that. Um, but it also is, it, in order to heal, it's going to say the thing that he knew already. Like, even if it's a necessary thing, and I, I'm not, I don't know the details of that operation or whatever, but even if it's a necessary thing, then it's still yeah. not how you were made. It's not the way the world was supposed to be. Yeah. No, for sure. So, for sure. And, you know, we live in the hope of, you know, swords being turned into plowshares and that's uh, our hope. That's our prayer. And yeah, it's, it's, it's tough road. What did, uh, what'd you do on Memorial day? Well, I was asking like, it was actually this very conversation I was looking at because I was, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that as a church? Because you've got, you know, my, my uncle died in the Korean war. I have people who, you know, are in our church who they have parents or, you know, relatives who died and you've got this Jesus central thing. Like you said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and, then you have a Sunday every year where you're like, okay, and also Memorial Day. It's it's one thing people don't think about being a pastor is you've got the like July 4th when it falls on a weekend, September 11th when it falls on a weekend. How do you, how do you navigate these things, staying faithful to the gospel, but also realizing like the people who died, they're trying to they're trying to um, do right by their family and their friends and their communities and. Yeah. Um, it, it's a weird anyway. thing because, like, a lot of so what you have now, the last election cycle when Jeb Bush was running for office uh, while concurrently asking people to clap for him, there was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Hey, I've been there, Jeb. I've been there, man. I know the feeling. I have to. Um, he he critiqued the uh, the war, and obviously his brother was the one who was like, "Hey, yeah. let's do this. this. Is the right thing to do." 
And so you go like, there's a lot of critique of the war, like in the abstract, but the individual sacrifice of these people, like it's like, it's extremely impressive. Like, uh, like one of my buddies, he was, uh, like he was in medical school. Uh, he he had been, um, enlisted then goes back to school, gets his undergrad and he's going to medical school. Nine 11 happens. And he says, Hey, I, I want to go back and be in the infantry. And so he's huh. going to like, this is my guy uh, who's the, the ranger. So he goes back to that and you go, man, I, I, there's two different lifestyles that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, someone's going to be an ortho- mm-hmm. orthopedic surgeon or someone who's going to be, you know, an army ranger doing uh, these kind of things. I mean, it's just, that's super impressive that you would sacrifice that for doing something uh, for the sake of other people. I mean, it's anyway, so it's, um, I think our, I, you and I are what they call geriatric millennials now, which is speak for awesome. yourself, speak for yourself. <laughs> but I think our generation was hard on patriotism. Uh, you know, we were both working at the Hills during the George W era. And, you know, you got Shane Claiborne and all these people that are, are yeah. pouring into you. And then, um, and then Caesar isn't Lord. And then this is something Richard Beck said yesterday in his blog. Uh, and then Obama comes and we are absolutely silent about the drone wars. Um, yeah. Because it turns out we don't we don't necessarily we're not Anabaptist. We just like it when our Caesar is Lord. We don't like it when the other. And I, I think that's a fair critique because uh, I I, and part of it was he's our first black president. He was actually, you know, a very good president. Uh, but he's not – it's not the kingdom of God. And um, I do think a lot of people, um, our generation, because of that kind of toxic uh, chemo that was against patriotism in the name of na- – against nationalism, which is the yeah. idolatry of the nation. We lost a lot of patriotism, which is like, this is our, we were born here. Patriot means, you know, father. Like, this is the fatherland. It's the place we're yeah. from. And I, This isn't my definition, but nationalism is like the elevation of your people over other nations. Patriotism is the love of your neighbor uh, in, in a large yeah. context, in, in the macro. And I feel comfortable yeah. with that. To like, I want yeah. to love my, but also like at church, it's supposed to be a place where you have people from different nations who are together. Sure, and in, it's transnational. Yeah, and, and in my church, like we see different ethnicities, we see different uh, cultures represented, and so it's a reminder: hey, we can't just put you know America first among all the other nations that are represented in church. And yeah. I I think that's part of what we're critiquing is like we we realize there's a temptation for nationalism, and you know there are a lot of struggles. Um, that we see, especially like with conservative Christianity in America, and yeah. you know, nationalism is front and center of that. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's That's not true. Think we're reacting and against. It's, it's definitely a uh, not. I, I remember thinking back in the early two thousands that was a, a GOP right wing nationalism, and that is not the only brand out there these days. No. No, I, um, someone someone tweeted something, and it, it was a quote from someone who was, who's been on the podcast. Not not the person who tweeted, but it, there was a quote from someone on the podcast, and it was, I, man, I felt like it was trash. It was something like, uh, "Progressive Christianity is just like a a, a waiting room for post Christianity," and I was like, 
all right, I'm going to take the bait on this one. And I said, okay, well, that's not true in the same way that the mere opposite isn't true, which is conservative Christianity is just a, wait, uh, a waiting room for racist nationalism. Now, both of them have degrees of truth in them. Like, yeah, sure. You have some you know, progressive Christians who just step out of Christianity altogether, and you have some people uh, who, who step into this you know, fundamentalist right-wing stuff that becomes nationalistic and racist. Yeah, both of those things are true, but to speak in the aggregate, like that is a common, like that is the sure, norm, like sure. that is very dismissive of both sides. But do you remember Rachel Held Evans said pretty much the same thing? Like uh, she, she said something like, but it was more of a question form. And I think she, like us, you know, was trying to make sense of why are so many of my peers walking away from faith? Yeah. And so she said, does post-Christianity just lead naturally to atheism? And uh, I think deconstruction outside of community, you know, listening to the liturgist on a podcast by yourself while you run and whatever, um, that I think outside of community um, – Deconstruction probably doesn't lead to a more robust version of the of the Christian tradition. I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to be yeah. chemoed out, needs radiation, needs to be deconstructed. But in my experience, uh, as far as my friends go, I think I do think that tweet would hold up uh, if you nuanced it. If you said something to the extent of you know, far too many progressives, it's just, you know, it's just a waiting room for them to become post Yeah, sure. It, like, if you're going to say that there are some, but to say yeah. that, like a, like a universal statement, I think that's dismissive. And obviously, you know, you mentioned the liturgist, and you know, I, I don't really keep up with, you know, what's going on there, but you see people, um, at least the original cast of, the cast, um, the liturgist, which was, you know, Science Mike and, and, uh, and Gunger, and obviously, you know, Gunger wouldn't identify as a Christian anymore. I don't know what Science Mike is doing these days in terms of, you know, where he's connected to, like, a faith, but the stuff that I follow, yeah, it's not there. And, yeah, like, I, I get that, but there's also the other side that has similar problems. And Oh, oh yeah, I, the, the and, point, I'm, the point and that I'm dealing with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think the point that what you're making is that outside of community— it always regresses into the the lowest form. And I would say on the right, like if you have that outside of a Christian community, what it can regress to is just, oh yeah, I can do this and then I can copy and paste mostly what I hear on, you know, my, you know, right wing media source. Ben and, Shapiro. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, whoever that is. And that becomes yeah. your version of Christianity, which I think is, uh, is deeply flawed as well. So anyway, yeah. um, you want like I said, we're going to talk about Russell Moore as we're uh, 27 minutes into the podcast. Oh yeah. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of chemo needed uh, and and deconstruction needed, yeah. I, I think another word for deconstruction could be a more helpful word. Could be untangling. I got this from my friend Chris Morton. Um, detangling uh, or even reformation. You know, hmm. always reforming. Like yep. Uh, no generation gets the gospel perfect. But what I hear with Moore, it, it's not like questioning any you know theological tenets of uh, Southern Baptist Convention backstory. Russell Moore, former Southern Baptist Convention president, um, was—I uh, forget exactly the title of what he was doing before, but he stepped down from that. And this past week, he wrote a scathing letter critiquing the entire Southern Baptist Convention, saying that he's completely distancing himself. Uh, that's not Would an you exact call that letter scathing? Well, I, I thought it was written in love, 
uh, pretty pretty aggressively truthful. But I, I, when um, I use the word scathing, I don't. Uh, I think that it's it, it rips off some scabs and it goes after things that are problematic. Sure. I, I don't think scathing oh, yeah. as like a um, you know you're you're being mean spirited or hateful or something mm-hmm. like that. But it's just like it, it gets after it. So in my yep. definition of scathing, yes, maybe if. You know, you didn't graduate high school like you, Jonathan. Uh, you don't know what the word skating means. <laughs> Nevertheless, I've but, got a college degree. I did not graduate high school, but I have a college degree. How how could that even happen with someone? Narrator. Go to Luke school also, in Arkansas. Luke also doesn't have a high school diploma. Uh, that you know, Oh, that's right. Yeah, there it is. We should have named these like high school dropout. Like that should be the name of these. these. <laughs> Because that's really what's happening. Okay, but uh, here's why it's scathing is because Russell Moore's critique, and, and I will read an actual quote here. The rest is me just kind of giving my two cents on it. Here's a, an actual excerpt from the uh, the letter. He goes, the presenting issue here is that first and foremost of sexual abuse, this executive committee, through their bylaws work group, quote, unquote, exonerated churches, churches in a spur-of-the-moment meeting from serious charges of sexual abuse cover-up. One of those churches actively had on staff at the time a sex offender. So mm. what he's saying is like he had plenty of critiques that came from the SBC when he was saying stuff about Trump, but it was specifically that what he was talking about was sexual abuse. And with Trump, he was talking about his sexual ethic, which is clearly wanting. And before he was in office, there's a lot of things that were just really awful. And... For him, the main issue was cu- talking about sexual abuse, and when he talked about it, he brought in uh, a lawyer who uh, has spent a lot of her, her time and work in this subject matter. What she had is a huge critique of people saying, yeah, we don't need to talk about that, and it seems to me like that's a completely different subject. This is not a you know right or left. Yeah. This isn't pro-Trump. or anti- This is talking about a, a serious sin that is being syst- systemically covered up by yeah. – a denomination. Yeah. Russell Moore makes a lot of, uh, he's like the, the, one of the few good guys in Jesus and John Wayne. Hmm. Um, he comes across as like naive. And actually in this letter, he said exactly what, uh, is it Kristen DeMoss? Is that what her name the was? Author is, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, she says, he keeps saying, Hey, Southern Baptists aren't like that. Evangelicals aren't like that. And yet with the story over and over again that you're hearing, you're like, well, like, well, at least the people who make decisions seem to be like that. Uh, a lot of them, you know. Um, but isn't that part and, of it is that you go, it's – most of them are good people. But if we continue to create right. a system that enables people who are sex offenders to, to lead and there's no attempt to – ratify the behavior then at some point like how complicit are we in our passivity in our silence you so you know kind of my own personal story and i don't want to air it here but my whole family's been ravaged by this and i love that russell moore has i mean i I love russell moore for so many things i'd like to grow up and be like russell moore in the sense that on in in our home we have we have a sign being made right now for my kid's bedroom that quotes uh, J.K. Rowling as Dumbledore, where Dumbledore says it takes great courage to stand up to your enemies, but even greater courage to stand up to your friends. Mm. And I love Russell Moore for that. I think 
Jesus people have to be able to do this because if I could if I could uh, summarize our biggest problems in a polarized world, it's nobody polices their own. Yeah. Nobody says. Uh, instead, we we look for blame on the others. We say, well, they do this, and that justifies the worst behavior of our people. Instead, like, okay, I, like the church. If you're the part of the Church of Jesus Christ, then you have specific ethic that have been given to you, and you don't get to make this crap up. You don't get to like, you know, cover o- over stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're. You have a tradition that's been received, and so if yeah. you're going to be faithful to that tradition, it's going to be offensive in different cultures to different ways. And that's what I love about Russell Moore. Like, that dude, he's probably more conservative than I am on some stuff, but he is faithful. Like, his, you can't figure out if he's liberal or conservative in some things. Like, he is, you know, I remember him saying, the, only, the problem with the cross and the Confederate flag is before long, one of them lights the other one on fire. Hmm. And as somebody who grew up with a Confederate flag on my wall, I I heard that. And uh, I mean, and he's, you know, Southern Baptist started because of the Civil War. South is in the name, and he's their president. Hmm. I, I've always appreciated Russell Moore for that thing. Yeah, he's standing. You know, he's anyway. Yeah, not partisan. No. There's the the line about uh, trust the wounds from a friend, and many mm-hmm. of us prefer like the compliments of strangers than the uh, the wounds that come from friends. But I think that's where we all grow the most is when that's right. people who know you, and they're going to say things that are painful, but those are the wounds that bring healing. And I I, I hate that, that tradition wasn't able to receive the wounds from the friend in Russell Moore. But like you said, I mean, you have a tradition that's born out. of I mean, it, it's called Southern, not because. Um, you know, they, they like barbecue. I mean, it's it's because they were trying to hold on to slavery. And uh, it, when you have, I, I think, and this isn't my argument, but I, I think it makes a whole lot of sense, that sexual abuse and slavery are are not completely divorced from each other. The history of, yeah, of slavery is, is that sexual abuse was a commonplace thing in that. And so the sure. idea that you're going to... Um, that you're going to separate those two, like, it, it's not still there because... We we keep talking about you know there are some bad apples there are some bad apples yeah there's there's some bad apples but eventually if there continues to be apple after apple after apple when do we go wait a minute this is this is this is part of the tree like th- this is this is part of the tree that we're talking about here when you see the fruit over and over again and again you you and I aren't part of Southern Baptist Convention uh, never have been um, you know we're not Baptists but one of the things that we look at is go how does this speak to the world that we live in and. Yeah, churches of Christ are not far removed from Southern Baptist. In, in terms of in the, theologi- in the South, everybody's basically Baptist. Well, the thing about the Baptist right? is like it's the largest denomination, and sure. it's it's most probably indicative and representative of Christianity in America. Yeah, and, and, and you know to be fair, like my best friend is a Southern Baptist pastor, and I love his church, love him, love what he's doing. Um, I so. The same critiques of SBC, just in my own personal experience. I mean, even if I, they're true in in our tribe as well. You know, Churches of Christ split over instrumental music, but really, when you dig down, that's had something to do with the North South divide. Because if you go above the Mason Dixon line, the 
churches of Christ have guitars and pianos and stuff. And yeah. Um, so there's there, we have a lot in common and I think we can pay attention to this voice from a cousin yeah. who is trying to tell us like, Hey, and, and both of those things, slavery and sexual abuse have to do with power and Christianity is largely about your relationship to power because Jesus laid his down and, yeah. um, and the, the cat, did you ever hear Andy Crouch's thing on the Catholic Church sexual abuse stuff? I don't think so. Um, uh, we can't get into it. It's too, it's too long, too but much? it's just, yeah, it, it, it would open up a whole nother. Okay, fair enough. But here's, here's the lesson that I, I keep asking myself from what's going on with Russell Moore and Southern Baptist Convention is when you see the people who are leaving, that says something about the organization. When you see people like Russell Moore and Beth Moore leaving, like that says something. Now, you know, I, I wish the best for Russell and Beth. I, you know, I, I know going through conflicts is probably tough on the marriage, so I hope that they go away and their marriage flourishes. Because uh, they're married, right? Like they're both. Baptist. No, just same last name. Oh, that's weird. How does that happen? Anyway, but if you <laughs> if you look at the people who are leaving, that says something about the organization that that remains. And for me, you go, okay, who who are we let leaving? Our church, and obviously we don't have a denominational headquarters. And so, you know, our tradition says we're not a denomination because we don't have an organization like this that can dictate things, that can oversee other churches and funds, and and, and there isn't that sort of overlap. And so in that sense, we are not a denomination because we don't have one. Obviously, we're a group of churches that are all connected. And so that is in, like, the general Mainly sense. through universities, yeah, right? But it, so we, but we don't have this power structure in which you can have— churches that are exonerating other churches because there's a sexual predator right. on staff. And so there isn't the ability to have this sort of like large scale uh, whitewashing of terrible things. But what we can have mm-hmm. is people leave and people who, who are leaving that we don't want to have leave and their absence should tell us something about what is present and what is remaining in our churches. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting th- take on that. I wonder, you know, who, what you can tell about Churches of Christ by who's leaving now. I think in the past, your past, maybe uh, my present, they were leaving because there wasn't enough freedom in worship or experience of God or, um, you know, Holy Spirit. Uh, and now, but now I, I think Churches of Christ, especially where you're coming from, have basically become, you know, their assemblies are going to be more lively. Uh, but so who's leaving now? Is it people who have higher education? Is it people who are um, upset about social issue stances? Yeah. I mean, one of the things you see in the Russell Moore story is that you have people who are threatening to withhold funds because someone speaks out against an abuse. Mm. And so you have people, quote, unquote, leaving their support, and and them leaving is it's not a bad thing. Like, if, if you have someone who's standing up for what's right and people withhold their support because of that, it's a good thing. It's another reminder that that bigger doesn't always mean healthier. Sometimes bigger means oh, yeah, sure. that you're just not talking about the hard stuff. And like the family right. that That's never true. deals with the real problems that everyone seems happy, it's because... You have some people who are sitting in silence with their pain. But um, 
yeah, I, I don't know the answer to who's leaving the Churches of Christ. Um, like in the aggregate, I, yeah, I thought, I, that, yeah, that'd be what I, I'd like to know some of that because I know you know our fellowship, like um, other fellowships, including the SBC, is in steep decline. I do think a lot of that has to do with uh, Charles Taylor secular age stuff and not not having ears to hear what God's up to in the world. Yeah, not I, not just to blame those people leaving, but I think there culturally something has happened. That makes us like in the first Samuel in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Yeah. I think one of the things that we see, obviously you have people who are on uh, different level of convictions on certain issues that are being talked about or not talked about. Yeah. That's across the board. Yeah, sure. And I don't know how to speak about that in the aggregate at this point. But what I do know is the witness that we have of being a community that is centered on Jesus is definitely waning when we see the same level of tension and the same acrimony and the same way of engaging with different, different reads and different opinions and different convictions on secondary issues like politics, COVID, um, you know, Trump or whatever, when there is an ability to have a unity that supersedes differences of opinion on these things, oh, yeah, what right. happens is we don't have a witness to the rest of the world going, hey, we have something unique to offer because what we have to yeah. offer is the exact same thing. And so people are leaving because we don't have the good news of a community that is connected on something central like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because what we have is we just have a group of people that have strong opinions and they don't agree with everyone, and if they don't get enough agreement from their, their opinion, then they're just going to leave. And so, yeah, like there's, yeah, uh, there's nothing appealing about that. Yeah, it's definitely unlike uh, the first century. I mean, as far as if the early Christians are kind of some kind of ideal that we're uh, striving for, unity was the thing that, you know, Caesar, it made— People be like, oh, he must be God because he can bring all these different nations and, and things together. And so Paul is appealing to that yeah, in a lot of ways. For sure. Uh, there'd be a, a transcendent thing that people made more important than their even their own biological families. Yeah. And I, I don't feel like—I feel like Jesus uh, gets reduced— uh, to, to something not worth setting aside your— political or yep. racial or socioeconomic yep. baggage for. Yep. Um, okay, Jonathan, let me ask you a question. You know, I obviously I got hung up on in the John Eldridge podcast. Um, I can imagine that you probably had a similar relationship with the Preachers and Sneakers conversation because you felt really judged for your <laughs> rampant materialism. Rampant materialism, that's right. I, you know, I, We've talked about preachers and sneakers on here before. It was interesting to hear the guy uh, who, you know, has been quoted in it by the New York Times, and you know, he's kind of like a normal dude who he just this he had this idea and it blew up on him. Yep. And did I ever when we talked about preachers and sneakers? Did I t ever tell you about Rick actually telling me about his dad trying to sell him a car? Oh yeah. That was a Lexus. Yeah. No, I, I know the story. And, yeah. T and tell it, it, it was a great deal. It was a great deal on a Lexus that his dad it was his dad had owned it, uh, didn't want to drive it anymore. Was going to sell it to Rick, and Rick was like, "Dad, I, I can't. I need to drive a Jeep Compass because I don't. I'm even though the Jeep Compass may cost more than that Lexus, mm -hmm. I have to be a steward of my influence as well because people are gonna. And I I took that to heart, you know, like Dude, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I've legitimately had the exact same conversation with my dad um, about Alexis. It wasn't his. It was uh, 
different family members and I'm like, I can't drive it. Like even if, like you said, like the, the sticker price on that and the value of it compared to a different vehicle is actually less. It, the looks are different. Like, and it doesn't feel the same. So when, when the, the preachers and sneakers guy talked about it, he described it as icky. He called that a SME word, but <laughs> I, I think the, the right word for it is just vanity. It's vainglory. And it's not even materialism as much as it is like vainglory. And the problem with vain, well, describe vainglory, empty glory, vain. I mean, uh, meaningless glory status. Uh, I, I would, I would put this in the same category as the other things like in the name of relevance, you and I, when we were, you know, growing up as baby preachers, we, we were hearing all these preachers that we you know these churches are growing and and you know, mark driscoll's really attracting men and he's kind of a jerk <laughs> yeah you know um kind of and yeah um and then and, but the more so what mattered was the image and when you dig under the surface it's like there's not very much substance and it's definitely not like rooted in the actual christian tradition that again we don't get to make this crap up and so um I, I would say, like, the global historic church has a very specific, like, oh, that's vainglory. That's, uh, you know, concerned about status. And, but, and um, we don't use the word vainglory anymore. Do do we need right. to? It's a problem. To oh, re- we need to. Yeah. But it, oh yeah. Like, get on social media is. Not, I mean, there's but, some good stuff. What, like, but when you're saying vainglory, is it? What's the difference of that and the word vanity? Is it's it the same? Thing. Okay. It's, yeah, but uh, I think vainglory has more punch to it because it's empty glory. It's meaningless. It's like cotton candy. Okay, but it doesn't it, nourish your soul. Let me let me um, say this as someone who's never had a, a piece of clothing that could ever make it on preachers and sneakers. Like, I, and yet has a ton of vainglory. Go ahead. Yes, as someone who's also an expert <laughs> on the subject, it, if you'd like shoes and you want to spend two hundred dollars on shoes and or however much they are. Um, what is what is wrong with that? If so, the, the the framework of wrong and right isn't helpful here. It'd be more wise and foolish, right? Like if you're going to steward people's souls as a pastor, then I don't think inviting them into a life of vainglory is really helpful. However, obviously you can't like find a verse or anything on this, but I do think the classic Christian tradition would not label this so much as greed or materialism. As it would, vainglory. Because I mean, you know, twelve hundred dollars for a, uh, and honestly, I'm on the hook for that too. It's it it does it helps me not scapegoat those guys or women who are on preachers and sneakers because there's a way. Like when I put on my pants to preach and I'm like, do these make me look fat or whatever? Um, shut up. <laughs> it's not the pants. People, people. <laughs> it's not the pants. Uh, sorry. <laughs> So <laughs> it's the fat. Is that what you're trying to say? Don't play hey, shame, fat shaming. Fat shaming works because of vainglory. Like shaming <laughs> has so much teeth in our culture right now because we're so status hungry and we're so like uh, who's that atheist? Elaine. Al- Al- I can't say his name. I always say Elaine de Bottom. de Botton. Elaine Botton. Yes. Yeah, he has a book called Status Anxiety where he talks about how we're so hungry for status, um, and that's why we're so vulnerable to shame. And vainglory 
um, it, it, it puts a projection of us up that isn't reflected in reality. And so what I would say to preachers and sneakers and to um, that is to sidestep the judgment of those are $1,200 shoes or whatever is Lynn Anderson once told me, Jonathan, the microphone and the stage is addictive. Hmm. And one day God is going to take it away. Uh, you, you have to learn that you are not just what other people say about you. And, um, you know, your identity in Christ, your, um, like that's, that's what you're really hungry for. The, the well done, good and faithful servant, the applause of God. That's what people really want. And everything else is just cotton candy. And so that's kind of my take on, uh, Preachers and sneakers is a symptom of of an American kind of Christianity that has bought into image over substance, and it's not just Christianity; it's you know everywhere. There, there was someone who has no connection to Christianity who wrote a piece about it and said, "I don't feel like you have anything unique to offer me. I don't. When I mm. see what you're doing, it's the same game that I'm playing, and right. the, the witness that you have is that you're." you're not different. Like there's not anything unique about what you're offering. And yeah, I think that that goes back to witness. That's good. That's so good. In the name of relevance, we lost the substance. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I I still would like to get a new truck at some point. So I just want to put that out there. (laughs) That's right. I don't feel guilty about it. Just make it a Kia, not Mm. a What do you drive? What do you drive? A Chevy. Hmm. Just an old Chevy. It's not old. It's, old. it's like 10 years newer than mine. You're right. In Arkansas, a Mercedes or a Lexus is not a status symbol. A Chevy or a Ford is. But but here's the thing. You could buy like an entry-level Mercedes or BMW for less than what a truck costs. But no one's going to look at you twice in the South for driving a truck, but they will for Mercedes and BMW because that's just, you know, it is what it is. Also, a Tesla, the new Tesla truck is the same price as an F-150 or cheaper, but... Again, Whoa. they're going to judge you differently based on that. And some of what Preachers and Sneakers does, let me take that back. Some of what Preachers and Sneakers is putting forward is an opportunity for people to judge people on the stage. And it's giving people a chance to, to dump on people that they want to dump on regardless of whether they deserve yeah. it or not. And some of that is, yeah, yeah, there's something wrong with them, but also there's something wrong with us that I like to see certain people pulled down because – of something in Makes my heart. Makes us feel better about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, uh, Stormant, thanks for the podcast. Um, good stuff here. And we, we got more we got to talk about, but we'll, we'll save it for next time. Okay, can I hang up on you now? The fact that you would want to do that says more about you than it does the podcast. <laughs> thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.